morning, good afternoon and good evening. Welcome to the latest FBC podcast, Football's Biggest Conversation. I am your host, James Rowe, this week. I'm uh, filling in for Matt Baldwin, who's also in our show. But uh, we like to um, rotate the hosts. It's like a new thing we got going here. So tonight I'm joined by Matt. Good evening, how are you? Evening, I'm fine. It was basically as a result of Claudio Ranieri's win yesterday. Um, the, the Tinker Man effect is, is so massive across the whole nation that we're going to incorporate it into the podcast that's mainly it and also i had a bit of a heavy nap today and i haven't still quite woken up so i was just too lazy to give the host so i thought we'd give it a go with you so just a, just a bit of a quick change yeah i'm delighted with it. it's nice to have a new role you know i'm very pleased and we're also joined by everybody's favorite yorkshireman colin sobe colin good evening how are you yeah thank you very much thank you for the nice introduction i'm not sure jeffrey boycott would agree but well, um, you know, he's he's uh, he's got you got to move with the times. You know? Oh well, yeah, exactly. Give, give give the give the people what they want. You must be very pleased with the a very good result for Leeds yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. Back on track. Um, yeah, good to see. Oh, yeah. hang on. If, after everyone's favourite Yorkshireman, uh, has Harry Maguire lost that role after the World Cup? Because I thought he was everyone's favourite Yorkshireman. For now, has he been knocked off that pedestal? I don't know if he's been knocked off. I don't know if he's as funny as Colin. See, that's the thing, you see. I'll take that. I'll agree with that. <laughs> we are going to start our latest pub tonight by speaking about events in the continent of South America. I'm sure you boys saw what happened in Argentina in Buenos Aires yesterday in the second leg of the Copa de Libertadores uh, final where the bus of Boca Juniors was attacked by pepper spray and bottles and anything you can think of was thrown in their direction and that shook up their their players, upon which the images that were in the um, coming out of the changing room and the uh, it was last night's events following them closely. It was like a film, you know, in terms of the latest events. You know, this is the uh, this is the declaration of Boca Juniors that they're not going to play, and then you hear they're they're forced to be to play. Um, this is basically shown up Argentina and South America in the eyes of the world. There is uncertainty as regards to the second when the second leg is going to be played. And but at the time of this podcast recording, the latest news I've heard is that it's going to be played in the United Arab Emirates. I just wanted to get um, both of your take on what happened last night. And my, Matt, we'll start with you. What was your opinion on what happened in the, in uh, in South America in Buenos Aires last night? Um. It's, I don't know if I should sort of be surprised because I'll admit I'm not the biggest, you know, uh, I don't have the biggest knowledge of South American football, but I do know that Boca Juniors and River Plate is one of these massive rivalries. You know, it's up there with uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid. It's up there with Celtic and Rangers in, in regards to the amount of worldwide public uh, public uh, interest it gets. And particularly because this is their equivalent of the Champions League final. Am I right? It is, but also this you could argue, Matt, that this is the biggest derby in club football in the entire world. Ah. You know, if you if you go back to um to the history and, and, and how ferocious this derby is, I mean it looks like it sometimes makes Celtic and Rangers look like child's play. Yeah, uh, and that and that is saying something. And yeah, I'll I'll bow to, I'll bow to your knowledge on that. But just in regards to the the, the scenes that we saw, um, I think every everyone can understand it's something that's become. Uh, it's for some reason it's uh, become a bit more popular in England, particularly Liverpool started with um, uh, during their title 
challenge in 2014 of trying to make it um, the bus journey, trying to make it a bit of a hostile atmosphere for away for, uh, for the away team and as a bit of encouragement for the home team. So we can kind of understand, you know, the scenes that were coming out beforehand with, uh, you know, and in the stadium where you know, fans are in there sort of four hours before kickoff, we can all sort of appreciate and understand that, yes, that's passion. That's, you know, that's very, you know, very good for them. They're, they're showing dedication. Like that. But everyone, I think everyone can also agree that there's a line that needs to be drawn and throwing stuff again. They, You could try and make it a, a hostile atmosphere uh, t- to an extent. I can understand throwing things that won't damage anything if you want to throw uh, uh, balloons filled with paint for instance that aren't going to do much damage to an extent i can kind of accept that but not fully but when you're throwing you know pepper when you're throwing uh, bricks and stones and pepper spray and you, you know you've seen the images that have come out i think everyone can sort of agree that's that, that's a step too far but i think what's the biggest story coming out of this has been the way that it's been handled um you know, you mentioned about the tie being moved to Abu Dhabi, um, but maybe they just want to get rid of you know, get rid of this whole thing. The fact that it's been delayed on a number of times because of the raining pitch in the first leg, it all just seems a tad. I don't want to say shambolic, but certainly not the best organized, almost efficiently organized sort of, sort of event. I, I don't get. I don't know. Is this sort of regular between uh, you know in in any normal game? Uh, between River Plate and Boca Juniors, is this kind of thing normal? Should the police have anticipated this, or were they just caught completely off guard? That's all my question coming out of it. Well, I think they could anticipate it. I mean, you can go. There's a list as long as your arm of curious incidents in the past, but I think um, I think the police um, escort that the, that the bus received leaves a lot to be desired. I mean, you, there was a camera from the air where it basically showed the route of them luring them into like a trap where they get absolutely pelted. And when you see the, the team bus afterwards, you know, every single window is broken. Players are visibly shaken up. You know, you imagine going to your place of work or going to a match and being confronted with that. It's, it's bound to change your mentality and outlook on things. Colin, what was your opinion on last night's events in Buenos Aires? Yeah, well, um, I agree with the sentiments of, of both of you guys. Um, yeah, there's passion, and then this is something else. Um, I'm sort of... Uh, I, I don't really know what to say about this. I've got, I've got lots of mixed emotions. Um, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I don't... I, I sometimes struggle with sport being very sanitized and i'm not at all condoning this sort of behavior at all but it, it in terms of a pr event for building this game up you couldn't have managed it better because this is the final everyone's going to want to see now and it's put it up there on a pedestal and i now know a lot more about this match than i ever did previously um it's a bit like seeing two really nasty boxers you know finally meeting in the in the ring, um, and it breaks all pay-per-view records. Do you know what I mean? Um, so it's a little bit of that, but that's just sort of like probably the dark side of me. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, I, I struggle to sort of understand where they go from here. Really, I know we're talking about holding it outside of the country. 
okay. Um, but what no one seems to be talking about is is what the ramifications are going to be. Everyone seems to be saying, oh, well, <laughs> cheeky Argentinians. <laughs> this is just their passion overflowing. This is how it is. I mean, there are not going to be any sanctions put in place on either the clubs or the Argentinian FA. Because, I mean, if that happened in Europe, that's the first thing they'd be doing. You know, be throwing them out of tournaments, firing them, docking points. Um, maybe that's something further down the line, because obviously that's, at the moment, it's just a case of too many people are getting hurt. Well, I think, um, I think from my point of view, you know, the, the only solution to this would be to, um, to play the game behind closed doors. I know it's very unfair in a two-legged affair, where one where one side would have their um, where one side would have their fans present and the other team would not. But you've got to draw the line somewhere. And this um, these events of the last couple of days make it quite clear that the um, Commonwealth's decision to hold the Copa Libertadores final as of next season in a one-off game in a neutral venue. Is already proven to be a masterstroke. But, but, but hang on, I just want—I just want to touch the whole playing games behind closed doors. You know, the majority of this stuff happened with the players on their way to this, with the players on their way to the stadium. Yeah. So I don't. So I don't think playing the game behind closed doors is gonna really, is gonna really affect anything. You know, there's there's only so much the police can do. You know, short of helicoptering in every single player. Um, in, into into the into the stadium there's not a lot that the police can do to stop things happening bef- happening before the game surely well as i say there, there needs to be resolution at some point at some point i mean you can go on about connotations and all different things until the cows come home but the fact remains is that you see messages come by on twitter for example that the game's been put back by an hour there's uh, rumors of a, a 10 a.m kickoff in the early hours there's rumors of a of a, a strange kickoff time, but then this needs to find a resolution at some point. And you know, you think about I, I take your point of the inside the stadium. You know, this happened outside the stadium, but there has to be resolution very quickly. And for me, that's that's got to be one of the options on the table. If you want, if you want a game played and you want it over with, and the title has been given, and then everybody can move on from there. Well, well, let, let's. I, I'm being devil's advocate here. I don't know the answer, so I'm just throwing spurious ideas out here. But when we look at what's happened, what is the problem here? Is it football or is it hooliganism? So if you took the football out of it, is it just, you know, bad lads fighting each other? Or are the two interlinked? Well, in this case, as I say, when the draw was made in the final the final matchup was ratified, there was always going to be problems regarding this game. If this game was Boca Juniors against Gremio or River Plate against um, against Nash, in, uh, Internacional, for example, you wouldn't get this. But it's because the the level of hate for both teams in the same city and, and how the, the fans despise both sets of fans. And, and in this case... Only Boca Junior Juniors were allowed in the stadium of Boca Juniors to attend the match, and the same goes for River Plate as well. There were no away fans allowed, but yet, even with no away fans allowed on in both stadiums, this is still what happened. Yeah, I'm just coming from the sort of 
the 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 viewpoint of who who is the the brown stinky finger going to be pointed at? Is it going to be pointed at football? Is it going to be pointed at fans, hooligans? I don't think it's fair to point it at the police. Um, I think they're probably obviously just doing the best of a bad job. Um, where I'm just trying to. T- you know, apply blame to people. Where where does a fault lie? Because I, I really don't know. There's there's probably blame to be had. There's probably blame to be had had on all sides. Like the fans need to take some level of blame for not being able to restrain uh, restrain themselves. Like I say, if you want to make an intimidating atmosphere, fine. But you know there are limits. Uh, the police probably take some. You know, have got to take some blame for it as well for the way they they handled. Um, you know the uh, the escort to the stadium and just the whole the whole planning the whole planning around it. Um, the blame is probably going to uh, the way that sort of rules dictate of the club is just responsible for their fans. Uh, River Plate themselves are going to get some blame of it from from Comedy Bowl uh, in in some way form or another. Um, but the players are uh, the players are absolutely blameless in this. I think they're the only ones that can escape out of this scot free. If you be if if you're asking me. Well, we hope for a resolution sometime soon because there is an awful lot of good football in the continent of South America, especially in a country like Argentina, who's won uh, won the World Cup twice and um, has a huge uh, history at club level as well in uh, with mammoth institutions. So we hope for a resolution soon. We are now going to move on to um, our second subject tonight, which is a a bit of a. Um, a bit of green shoots in the managerial merry-go-round. We have uh, Claudio Ranieri coming in at Fulham. We have Mick McCarthy taking over the island job. And I just wondered, uh, what were you guys' uh, thoughts on the new uh, man at the helms of the respective uh, clubs? Uh, clubs and, um, and in the case of Ireland's national team. Matt, should we start with you? And uh, the should I dare to say it, Leicester Mark two beginnings at Fulham at Craven Cottage this weekend? Don't start that. The only Leicester I want to hear is us staying up and finishing 17. That's all. That's all I really care about. <laughs> okay. Um, absolutely, absolutely. I'd love us to. I'd love us to win the league. But that thing's hap- That that stuff happens once in a thousand years. So we've got to wait another 998 for this sort of stuff. For this stuff to sort of happen again. Um, but just overall, um, it's it's a bit of fresh air to the club that there always is when a managed when whenever a manager goes and you know when your club's bottom of the league the the only way is up but there just seems to be just a little bit more uh confidence and everyone's a little bit more upbeat because we've got a manager who is himself slightly more upbeat he's a, you know, a bit more energetic in in comparison to Slavici Kanovic who if you ever watched him in in his press conferences or in his post-match interviews doesn't come across as the energetic type he's very much the Stoic, silent figure. You, you can hardly understand. You know, I'm not criticizing him. Not criticizing him in any way. It's, it's just who he is. Um, but it's half of the words he says at press conference, you can barely understand him just because he's got that thick, uh, Serb, that thick Serbian accent. Um, but just and on an overall thing, the football yesterday was so much better. It's so much more entertaining because I'm not one of these fans that gets bogged down in how high your possession count is or how high your passing accuracy is. I really just, I'm just really fussed with, can you get more goals than the other team? So the fact that we did get more goals than Southampton yesterday, despite less possession and despite less passing accuracy, was 
you know, joyous, a joyous occasion to me. But the football itself, it was sli- again, it's slightly more entertaining because it was slightly more direct. Um, this the counter-attacking play was a lot more quicker than Slavisa's counter-attacking play. You saw, I don't know if it, if either of you saw it on match of the day yesterday, but even though the the pass didn't come off, the one thing that sort of showed how or what this team's going to be looking like going forward was when Alfie Mawson on the volley just pinged the ball from the edge of the 18-yard box, looking for Ryan Sessegnon, who was, you know, 50 yards uh, 50 yards upfield. And even though the, the, the pass was very astray it just showed that that's what they're trying to do they're trying to get the ball up the field as quickly as possible rather than everybody's got got to touch the ball three times before we work the ball in before we work the ball into the area so just on an overall scale it's looking a lot it's looking a lot more promising and the fact that i'm sorry i don't want to waffle on too much but the fact that these are the kind of games that Claudio Ranieri was brought in to win. Now our next our next three games are Chelsea away, uh, Leicester at home, and Manchester United away. Now if we can get six points from Southampton yesterday and Leicester uh, next Wednesday, a uh, week on Wednesday rather, I believe it is. Um, I don't care if we lose the two to Chelsea Man United because we were expected to win that. But if uh, expected to lose that rather, but if we can win the games of win the games against the teams around us then basically if we win every single six pointer going on, because the way the Premier League goes, anyone, I think there's like four points from us at the bottom to West Ham in 13th. So there's going to be plenty of quote unquote six pointers going on. So if we could just win or maybe get a couple of decent draws out of them, then we're, then we're going to be fine. But no, I'm not putting us down for the title just yet. That's no, going to be Liverpool's like, year. Now this year you must be joking. Really? You think Liverpool are going to win this year? Oh, no, I said next year. Oh, next year. Yeah, yeah but, next year. but at the risk of upsetting Liverpool fans, they've been no, saying that for the once last they get, once they get rid of James, Once they get rid of James Milner and get Aaron Ramsey in and that's such a midfield, they're set. So they just yeah. need to get him on the free transfer. Then 2020, that's the year. I'm okay, calling it. But they've been, then it'll be 30 years. But, you know, what do I know? My, my team's only had to wait uh, 15 years, so I can't really talk that much. Um, Colin, what do you make of uh, the recent managerial uh, change, uh, change at Fulham? I think it's uh, an inspired appointment. Um, I think it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes you look at football and you think, oh, it's so simple, you know, because the predicament Fulham were in. Ranieri is the perfect appointment for them. You know, from what they had before to what Ranieri is going to bring to them. You know, because in years gone past, you know, what people would have done, you know, with a club that was in a rye, you know, are they going to get relegated? They'd throw in, you know, Q Sam Allardyce, right? Just to keep them there, okay? Ranieri, he's a breath of fresh air. Um, and I think Fulham have done really well to get him there, and I think he's going to be a big success. Um, and, and I don't mind saying that. I mean, I know that obviously, Matt, you're going to be biting your tongue because you, you, you know you're still in choppy waters. But I think this is it. I, th- I think this is the time when Fulham turn it around. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not a betting man particularly, but I'll be very interested to see what the Fulham odds are. Um, against Manchester United because 
I think Fulham could do a job on Manchester United. The way they're you playing. genuinely be surprised. There are a whole bunch of Fulham fans right now that are looking and looking at Manchester United and saying, "Hang on, if Crystal Palace can go and yes. get a nil there's a lot of people that say, "Hang on, we might just be able to do something here." And that would not have happened under Slavica Kanovic in no way, shape, or form. It's odd that this one game, even when we conceded twice, that there's still that little bit of hope there. It's it's fascinating. Well, it's it's. I think yeah. I think it is good, and I think a lot of that stems from Ranieri because his team talk surely is going to be quite simple for the next few games. We've got nothing to lose. Yeah, we've been dreadful all year. <laughs> Go out there, do what you want, right? Play your game. Here's what we're going to do. Da, 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 da. Give it a go. There's no point trying to play for a draw against Manchester United, right? Just go for it. Well, I think it's an. I agree with you, Colin. I think it's an inspired choice, and I think it's great for a club like Fulham to go out and have the ambition to appoint the Premier League winner rather than a a, 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 fi- a firefighter, if you like, that will just keep them in the league. And I think um, I, f- I think that it will give them great impetus, and I think you'll st- slowly see them start to climb up in and around Christmas time. I think I don't think uh, these things happen overnight. But they've given themselves a great chance of staying up now. It's a long old season, as we know, only too well. But to have given them, uh, themselves half a chance with 25 games left, I think it's a very, very good uh, a good piece of business by Fulham. So well yeah, done. Yeah, um, yeah, the fact is, there's you know, if we're on eight points now, the whole the maths about it, you need to be 40 points. To be brutally honest, the way the Premier League has sort of gone, you, the, that narrative needs to change. I think is now sort of close to 35. So really, all we need is 10 is 10 wins. And as I said, even if we just have to pick off the likes of Cardiff and Huddersfield, you know, who we did, who we lost to first time round. But if we have to pick off the likes of Card- Cardiff, Huddersfield, Brighton to an extent, or even West Ham are, aren't in the in the greatest of shapes, and we host them, I think sometime in December. So if we just keep picking up points along the way, then absolutely we're going to be fine. But I'm not I'm not saying we're guaranteed to stay up now, but the chances of us staying up have dramatically increased. Absolutely. I fully agree. And I think that leads us on to our last topic tonight, which is uh, I wanted to gauge the opinion of you both. Mick McCarthy has been reinstated as manager of uh, Republic of Ireland. And by terms of his contract, he will see, he will lead the, the nation up until 2020. And the Irish FA have already proclaimed his successor. That, um, his successor will take up the job after the, uh, after the Euro 2020 um, tournament. And I just wanted to gauge the opinion of you both regarding uh, how does that work in, in the ever-changing world of football where a week is, long to, is, a, is a long time in football. A national association has decided to plan a year, a year and a half in advance. And um, I just thought to myself it would be a very interesting topic because in what other industry would that work where you have a, a new manager of, a, let's just say, an office paper company and he's been named as the boss, but yet his, um, his successor has already been named as well. And if you're an employee working under those people are working in that environment, how uh, how would that affect you? Obviously, this is football. This is completely different. But what do you make of the decision from the Irish FA, Matt? 
Um, I think it's a bit of a it's a bit of an odd one. I, I could I can completely understand where they're going in appointing Mick McCarthy in the first place. Um, you know, they they say never go back because your second stint is never you know, is never quite as good. But there there's not really much you know, there wasn't really much of a better choice out there for, for the for the now. So to for, so to speak, because uh, the team that Martin because it's actually a pretty good transition when you think of the style of play Martin O'Neill had to the style of play uh, Mick McCarthy has they're sort of similar and Mark, Mick McCarthy could probably get better um, out of out of the players plus it also gets Roy Keane out of the you know out of the managerial spot and uh, system managerial spot because. I think he was probably having a negative effect on the players. I can, you know, Roy Keane's great for a soundbite, but there's only so much you can do when you're actually in the game, when you're criticizing your own players. There's only there's only so far that can go. But I think the the decision to sort of announce ahead of time that he's got that he's got a successor in Stephen Kenny um, is is pretty. I think is a stroke of genius, and the fact that he's put him in charge of the under twenty ones. Is another is another great idea because Stephen Kenny's going to have this uh, what eighteen months or so working with the young players and you know, everyone's trying to go through this stage now of bringing in the young kids the these successful ones from the under twenty ones. We've seen Gareth Southgate uh, do that with the team, with the players he managed. Uh, Ryan Giggs is doing it, bringing in the likes of Harry Wilson and Ben Woodburn. And you know, uh, Mepham and David Brooks and all the other lot. I don't want to go on, but getting him used to international management with the under twenty ones and seeing right, this guy's going to be good for the next level. This guy's going to be good. This guy's going to be good. This guy won't. Gives him a bit of a head start in planning for you know after what's what's the qualifying going to be, uh, World Cup two thousand twenty two qualifiers. So I think the way that the Irish FA have gone about it, both in their uh, appointment of Mick McCarthy and the way that they've got the assist, the uh, the successor already lined up, I think has worked fan- is is a stroke of genius for for them. Um, if I can just elaborate before I go to Colin, the Dutch FA kind of they tried exactly the same thing with Chris Hiddink and Danny Blind, and it was a complete and utter disaster. Chris Hiddink was that. But that was the original announcement that Chris Hiddink would lead the uh, lead the Dutch national team and Danny Blind would take over. Upon which, halfway through the qualifying campaign, Chris Hiddink was relieved of his duties and replaced by um, by Danny Blind, and it started a huge downward spiral. And I just think, as well as a, as I said at the start of the piece, you know, a week is a long time in football, and to plan so far in advance in in this particular sport I, i'm not really in, i'm not really sure um colin what do you make of it um i i think it's hilarious <laughs> um but i'm looking at it more on the romantic side rather than the extremely diligent points that you've both made um about this appointment i mean there's a massive elephant in the room that we're not touching on isn't there yeah, because, you know, obviously Keane being part of the, Roy Keane that is, being part of the managerial team, they've backed down and then to be replaced by Mick McCarthy, who obviously had the spat with Roy Keane in 2002. It, it's it's almost something like out of a... Um, 
not footballers' wives, but you know, one of those crazy sort of football sitcoms or something. Um, and I think it's probably just quite symptomatic of the FAI, to be honest. Um, I've, I've got a good friend of mine who's um, a fan of the, who's an Irish guy, who's a fan of uh, Irish football. And um, the FAI are an absolute shambles. They really are. They're a bit of a laughing stock. Um, and and I, I just think appoint, reappointing Mick McCarthy after what has happened in the past almost seems to me like they didn't, and especially because it's only on a temporary basis, they didn't appoint him, you know, because he's any good. They appointed him just to stick two fingers up Roy Keane's nose. I mean, does, am I the only one thinking that? Yeah, um, it, I, I think that, that there's some there's something to that. The fact that they're replacing him with the, the fact they're replacing him. With, I don't think it was their only intention, but I I absolutely think it could have been a, a sort of side a side intention, a, a misintended consequence, so to speak, if you would. Well, well, hold hold on for a second. Let's not beat around the bush, right? So. Just to revisit what happened, Mick McCarthy was doing an okay job with Ireland. They were at the 2002 World Cup. Roy Keane was the captain, yeah? And and this is what he said to Mick McCarthy, okay? Not my words, the words of Roy Keane, right? He says, Mick, you're a liar. You're a fucking wanker. I didn't rate you as a player. I don't rate you as a manager. And I don't rate you as a person. You're a fucking wanker. And you can stick your World Cup up your arse. The only reasons I have any dealings with you is that somehow you are the manager of my country. You can stick it up your bollocks. Right? Then Mick McCarthy gets the heave-ho and then subsequently, not directly, but subsequently Roy Keane is part of the FAI, FAI management team and then he goes and the guy who he said all those things about then sort of replaces him. It it's it just. I mean, I I don't know. I just think it smells like a tremendous story. Well, from my point of view, I look and think, how big was the pool of candidates they had to choose from? I mean, one minute Mick no. McCarthy, Mick McCarthy. One minute he's sitting, being receiving a barrage of abuse as Ipswich manager. Two years in two years in a row of you know we want you out Mick and we want you to leave and this and that and he was um he was hounded out basically in terms of the the the, the fans wanting uh wanting a change in style and uh, wanting to uh, return to the Premier League or look like they're going to return to the Premier League you know having been away for what is it 16 17 18 years now so of course even though he might not have been doing a very good job and some fans might well be within their rights to proclaim that they want him out you know to, for it to change where you're, you're you're hounded out of your specific job and then a, only a couple of months later you're taking one of the nicest jobs you can get in 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 um in international football in terms of a, a, a an honest role that will be that everybody would want if they was if they was asked and um obviously him having had it before i mean they put the frighteners up spain in that world cup knockout match in 2002 and they could have it could have ever so easily won so i think for him i think he's he's got the last laugh really you know one minute yeah. you you get you get a barrage of abuse every day of the week for just trying to do your job 
and and working with the constraints of, a, of an owner that you had at Ipswich, and then a couple of months later you become Irish manager. So I think uh, I think at the minute he's laughing the hardest, and I think um, I think he can be very satisfied at how things have gone. Oh yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm, I'm totally with Mick McCarthy on this. I mean. Um... Uh, yeah, I I I agree. I mean, I I, th- I mean I, th- I do think that the Ireland team at the moment, the squad there of players is very poor. Um, I, I don't think they're going to be visiting a World Cup anytime soon, personally. Um, but I do genuinely think the only reason Mick McCarthy's took the job, um, and I really don't blame him for this, is is that he can so he can ring Roy Keane up and say. Well, why don't you stick that up your bollocks? I really do think it is that petty. Um, to be honest, but maybe that's just me being very cynical. Well, yes, we'll just have to wait and see. I think, I don't know what you two guys think about what I'm about to say, but if I was the Irish FA, I would have gone for Chris Hewton. And if I was Chris Hewton, I'd have took that job. Because that oh, is shout! Because there's only so much you can do at Brighton. There's there's only so much you can do. And, um, you know, for him to take the step from Brighton to uh, Republic of Ireland would have been a good step for him. But obviously I'm not in charge of the Irish FA, am I? So I, I wouldn't... But if I was in charge, I, that's the decision I would have took. That is an, ex- that is an excellent shout. But my only thing is you... Oh, hang on, take that back. You What have you been saying that... Uh, Management manager is an old is an old man's thing, sort of thing. Is that what your your general point has been, James? Yeah, but I believe that Chris Hutton is fifty three years old. Fifty nine. I've just checked Wikipedia. Fifty nine. Goodness. Well, if that is, look, if that is if that isn't an age to break your duck and make your introduction into international football, I don't know what is. It's right, because I, I thought I for some reason I thought he was late forties. He he looks incredible for his I thought, age. I thought he was fifty three, but I, if I was the Irish FA, I think they missed the trick. And uh, but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, this is maybe a subject for another podcast. But would you hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on? Would you have approached him for for the um for the Stephen Kenny role, and no. say we're having Mick McCarthy now and then no. in 2020 when you're done with Brighton, then you can have it? No, I would have said, would you? I would have said, would you like to become that manager of uh, Republic of Ireland? Is what I would have said. And I think they probably have. And he said, thank you, but no, thank you. No, I don't. I don't know about that, Colin, because there's only so much you can do at Brighton. And uh, I, what, what I mean by that is, is that he can only stay up with them. That's it. You know, they're, they're not really a, a cup, a cup side, are they? They're not really a, a, a side that are going to have ambitions to push on to play European football, are they? So there's only so much you can do. And I think, um, I think the Irish FA, uh, I think they missed the trick, to be honest. But you, but surely, I mean, Hutton's getting more at Brighton than he'd ever get from the. But the island sure, job. But but surely money isn't everything. I mean, maybe this. What I'm well, about true. To say, yeah. Maybe what I'm about to say is for, for is for another pod. But I wonder now, especially with in terms of managers being um, being relieved of their duties, how much how much uh, compensation packages play a role in the in identifying the successor. I'll give you an example. Uh, there's rumours going around that Mark Hughes hasn't got much uh, time left at Southampton and that the uh, the candidates list, if you like, being drawn up to replace him 
Ish Yadim, currently out of work at, um, after being relieved of his duties at Monaco. Peter Bosch, who managed Ajax to a Europa League final and is relieved of his duties since being um, been asked to leave by Dortmund. And also Brendan Rodgers at Celtic. And I, I, don't, I don't know if it's half of these managerial links being pulled out of thin air or how much uh, at boardroom level they, they are exercising clauses and talking about um, compensation packages and how much that dictates a decision which is uh, which is which needs to be made. I think that might be a interesting subject for another pod. Perhaps. Do you think? Do you think they're just bored of um, having? Because it's you know it's managers. You know, like you mentioned, Heather, it's it's a manager that's down the bottom, so to speak. Do you think they're just bored of having to write Sam Allardyce and you know Alan Pardew and the the list of managers that always went round? So they're just trying to. You know, some editor in the new in one of the newspapers just said, "Why, why do we have to always say Sam Allardyce should get the job? He'll sort them out, short-term contract thing." And it's not just one guy say, "Let's just fan the flames and say no. Why don't they go? Why don't they go for Jardim or Rogers? Um, those kind of those kind of managers just you know, for just for a change of pace, sort of thing." Well, well, I think about that, Matt. The people that are writing these articles. Have they ever heard of the managers they're actually proclaiming? Do they know what they've done in the past, or are they just trying to be? Are they just trying to be smart, Alex? If you don't know anything about the manager when you're writing a piece, then you really shouldn't be writing it. But I mean, obviously, I, I, I'm not. A, I'm not a journalist. I just interview professional players and managers on a regular basis, and it gives me a different perspective. I'll, I'll take you guys back to when I interviewed uh, Graham Potter when he was at Ostersunds. And he told me how happy he was in uh, in uh, in Sweden. That his family are really settled. That he has he harbours ambitions to take Östersunds into the Champions League. Now he was linked with the um, with the Swansea job, and my interview with him had previously been published. Upon which people they will the quotes that were released in my piece is exactly what was said, and I stand behind that because I was the one that wrote it. But naturally, people that read different things like to take things out of context. And I remember one particular tweet that came by that said to me that was a one-two-three interview. And uh, he, of course, he's leaving uh, Sweden. Now, upon which, when I read that, I mean, I, it, you, you, you put there to be shot at and you're really in that respect. But the fact remains is that the guy proclaiming criticism of my interview, he never spoke to Graham Potter in the way I did. So I think I think a lot of the hearsay and a lot of the gossip, I think because there's no reprisals for the people that write them, especially for the big organisations, they can literally write whatever they want without any consequence. I don't know what you two think about that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, I don't know, guys, if we're moving on to a, a, another tangent, another topic, um, and I'm entirely happy to go through down this uh, route if, if, if we wish. Because um, I think we've probably exhausted the Mick McCarthy element of this one, mm-hmm. um, but I know that both of you guys, um, have, you know, are obviously been have been are in the the deep end of speaking to people, interviews um, with footballers, ex footballers, managers, etc. Um, and I'm. Just a, a mere bystander. I'm I'm on the 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 other side of the field. I'm just a man in the stands. But um, just touching on something you you mentioned there, James. 
is there knowing what you guys know is there a lot of shit out there in um the the media football journalistic world where people are just throwing stuff around making things up and they are, are there a lot of people there essentially is what i'm saying who really don't know what they're talking about and they're just talking out of their ass um to be polite uh colin i would say various there are and the people that do that they don't have jobs like me and matt have jobs we do it i don't know about matt but in my case it's a it's a hobby which is slowly becoming and feeling like a job which is nice and long may that continue but the people writing those stuff don't have to work a 40 hour week as well they get paid to do that as a job and you know from my point of view with players with people writing stuff and picking names out of thin air and 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 not having really much to back it up i think it's quite worrying what do you think about this matt um yeah i have i i, I absolutely do think that there are uh people who, who are just making stuff up purely because it, it's the industry that you're in you're trying to get um yeah in, in the old days it used to be you're trying to sell papers in modern day you're trying to get clicks on a website but the, the same general story is you're trying to get you know, you're trying to get the story you know ahead of ahead of someone else so it's it is just rife for people to say um i i and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna give the game because i um was speaking to someone who works for a media organization i'm not gonna say who but they could easily just say you know my sources have told me no, and they don't. They don't have to be specific. So long as they sort of cover it with, my sources tell me, then, you know, so long as that person has been right in the part. Um, if someone's working, uh, covering, uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, no, I, 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 no, I don't want to go into it just because because of, of legal reasons. But if someone could just say, my sources tell me, then it sort of covers them because all they're doing is mm. passing on from something else. So I can, you know, I can, for instance, say, my sources say, um. Uh, my sources say that Michael Gove is um, is stepping down as environment secretary tomorrow. You know, it's it's something that I just made up on the spot, but I can yeah. just come up and say, my uh, no, I'm I'm just reporting what someone else has told me. And it could you know, be I'm me. Just, I'm just a middleman. And I could be your source. Exactly. But, and I don't and you, know Michael it, Gove. But... Yeah, but you could just pretend. You know, yeah, you exactly. Just make it like, yeah, make it up. So I think there is some out there just again because of the industry because of the industry that we're in, and everyone's trying to be ahead of the game so they can get so they can get the money out of it. But rather than, but far from me to be naive, I take a lot of pride in my work, and everything which has been published under my name is one hundred percent truth. There is no adaptation. There is no making it bigger than what it is. There is none of that. And maybe I'm a bit naive and too polite in wanting to take pride in my work and take the responsibility for my work. And maybe I'm in the wrong job. But the fact remains for me, especially with interviews now with players and managers that are, that are working in professional football and may well go on to work in the English game. For me, the fact that my work is out there and my name is on it, for me, it's, it's about taking responsibility and pride 
that I would never write something and proclaim, you know, hearsay out of thin air, to be honest. Well, and, and that's something that, I mean, I mean, this is just me. And believe me, guys, I'm, I'm not doing this. I'm not blowing smoke up your jacksies. I'm not. But I, I take quite a lot of uh, credence and satisfaction that, you know, I, I'm on a podcast together with the likes of yourselves who've been there, who is who are there and getting the hands dirty. Do you know what I mean? And I and I doff my cap about that because that's something that I haven't done. Um, so that's why I, you know, initially asked the question because I, I, as an outsider, just get a feeling of, and especially, you know, what you touched on, Matt, there is the sources thing. When people say a source says, da, 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 it automatically turns me off. And I, and I just think, and I'm a bit older than you guys, you know what I mean? If I'd have believed every single source and every single thing I'd read in a newspaper, you know, football would be played on the moon. Um, you know, so I just want to get a feeling from you guys what it really is like down there. Because it sounds a little bit murky to some extent. You know, it is. It is to an extent, and it's sort of everyone's own level, you know, own level of of morality. You know, I'm, you know, it's sort of my aspirations of being, you know, James's um, uh, aspirations. You know, maybe just I'm purely basing this on the work that you've done, James. But your aspiration may be to, you know, to interview players, managers, and to write and to write features, because um, that um, that's what you know, that's what I've seen you do. Mine is to is to write match reports. I don't want to go into, you know, I'd, I'd have absolutely loved it. I'm not uh, ruling it out as an option, but I don't want to be the, the newsroom journalist that has to ring round all the things just, just cause that's not, not what I'm trying. I'm much more comfortable doing, um, doing match reports where, you know, I could just see what's going on. I don't have to, fa- I don't have to fake anything. I can slightly exaggerate things like, you know, a 35 yard goal was, you know, a, a, a rocket, a, you know, a rocket of a left foot. I can slightly exaggerate, but I'm not making anything up. It's, and no one can accuse me of making anything up because everything that's there to be said is, is right there in front of me. So you know, there's no uh, incentive for me to lie. So to, um, so to speak, but uh, someone may want to go into the, uh, uh, the more hands-on, the more hands-on area of it, where you are ringing round sources and get and gaining contacts, and all that, and all that sort of thing, and then that leads you to the um, word of yeah, you get positives because yeah, you'll be the one that that breaks the story of, um, you know, in the, the I'm sure Gabriel Marcotti, for instance, has broken hundreds of stories that are true, but at the same time, Gabriel Marcotti has probably had just enough. Um, you know, probably less because he's quite good, but a number of stories where he said, um, um, I'll throw one out of the thing there. Gonzalo Guayin, um, confirmed move to Napoli, um, should be done in the next 48 hours, say, and that turns out to be wrong. So, and then he'll get, you know, called out for a hang on, you said this was right. Um, and he may then try to you know, follow up by saying, by again, saying, no, no, this was just my source of telling me, but no one will care about that. So again, it comes down to what everyone sort of wants to do and what they're comfortable with. And that affects their level of their level of morality and you know how seriously um, and how seriously they, they take their work. 
from my from my point of view, obviously interviewing professional players and managers, for me for me the bigger picture is to one day work in a media section of a professional football club. Uh, whether that be here in the Netherlands or somewhere in Europe or wherever, to be involved in the on the media side of, of uh, player and manager interviews in terms of the commitments that they have. And it's nice to be touching on, what is it, 70 interviews nearly in the last two and a half years. But for me, my point of view in terms of the questions I ask, they are my questions. Nobody tells me what to ask the manager of the Chaos Cup. Nobody told me what to ask Danny Cowley or Graham Potter or Ricky Van Rolleswinkel. They are my questions. They are mine. I've had people approach me by saying, can you ask this? Can you ask that? And my answer is always no, because I'm the one doing the interview and it's what I want to know. And then people can take what they want from it. And it's very, very nice when you do those kind of interviews, which are your own, where you get... Danny Cowley telling you that he's on a managerial journey and his words, continuity is such a rare thing in football. When you have a really good thing, you've got to keep it going for as long as possible. Uh, when you get Graham Potter talking about his playing career, he's a manager, but I wanted to ask him about his playing career. And he told me about at West Brom where Cyril Regis really helped him. And when you had a, a player, a man like that and a presence like that on, a, on, the, on the football pitch, you felt you felt comfortable. And these types of things for me and these small little clippets and small little stories make it all worthwhile. But of course, the, uh, the long term goal is, is to one day be um, to be involved in the media setting of a professional football club. So uh, who knows? I'll keep you all posted. And um, yeah, fingers crossed if that ever is the case, that will be able to continue to still do the pod. No, we are but... now going to wrap up our latest FBC podcast. Matt, would you like to tell the listeners um, where they can uh, where, where they can contact you on Twitter? Um, they can contact me on Twitter at MattReese63, which is at M-A-T-T-R-H-Y-S-6-3. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much. And Colin, would you like to tell the listeners how they can contact you on Twitter? Yes, um, you can contact me at Cass707. Okay, and don't and forget, don't forget to plug the general feed because you're the one who's in charge of that, and I still don't know the full details. No, no, I will, as I say, I will do my bit. Uh, listeners can contact me on at James Rowanell if you have any questions for all three of us, and you can also contact us on the main Twitter feed at FBC. Is that right, Colin? It's actually at FBC Pod. At FCB. Uh, thank you for the correct. FBC at- Pod. FBC pod. No, if you have any questions you might want to ask us, you can give us a follow and a retreat because we're, obviously we're quite new in this oversaturated world of, uh, of podcasting. But if you want quality, you know where to come. And we'd like to thank you very much for joining us all this evening. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Take care, everybody.